2: Trust your audio to task him. Sound thinking.
0: Dive in with code wingeeks 15 to save 15% off your first order at Toink.com.
1: Welcome to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, and myself, Mike. And hey guys, this is a special episode as well because for the third year in a row, we are participating in Star Wars Podcast Day. And this is our Star Wars Podcast Day episode. I got a special treat for us for this week so uh, but until then check out the homepage wookieradio.net uh, support our affiliates like Rebel Sabers use code Wookie for 10% off your purchase of Sabers your lightsaber from Rebel Sabers uh, use the code smuggler smuggler Three for twenty-five percent off your purchase at Red Flag Workshop, where you get different Star Wars-themed national park or park ranger hook-and-loop patches or stickers. And I will—I'm I, going to say this right now—I uh, have actually sent some designs to Ryan for some sci-fi-themed remove-before-flight keyrings as well, which are going to look awesome no matter which direction he goes with with what I sent him. Uh, and then also to uh, Biddy Boomers, great Bluetooth speakers. Use code WeBeGeeks, all one word, for 15% off from them. And as you heard uh, prior to the intro, WinGeeks15 for 15% off your purchase at Toink.com. That's T-O-Y-N-K.com. And you too can pick up something such as, and I believe Ken has our pick of the week this week.
0: Yeah, um, I was looking through and you know what? It's hard to choose just one thing off of here when it comes to Star Wars. But one thing that's really cool about Toink that I don't think you can get it- I think they're the exclusive supplier, isn't? Aren't they for Geeky
1: Tiki's? No, but well, they have they they do have they do have a bunch of exclusives from Geeky Tiki. Yeah.
0: well, just recently released, they actually have a line from uh, Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian. That I actually have three Geeky Tiki's that I'm looking at right here. They actually have Rex. The Rex Droid. Yes. They have Cad Bane and Kersanton. All yeah. three
1: have been released recently. And the, Re- and the Rex Droid could also be from nice. uh, Star Tours or DJ Rex from Bogus Cantina mm-hmm. at Galaxy's Edge.
0: The Kersanton one, I think, is my favorite out of these three, though. Yeah. He's,
1: he's just, he's really cool looking. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, we'll actually make all three of those uh, the pick of the week. Why not? Mm-hmm. So.
2: Uh don't look now but we got company
1: at the airlock. Shall I let them in? Sure J7. Uh, they were planned. We we know they're coming. Uh guys, we we've had people before from the the New Republic era of Star Wars. Uh I guess that's what we call it, New Republic era. We know Dark, but he was also in the dark times and he was in Obi-Wan Kenobi. He was in the Book of Boba Fett. He's going to be in the upcoming Skeleton Crew which probably not going to be allowed to talk much about that because it's not out yet now. not a lot, and I don't we really can, want
0: to talk about that one much.
1: You know, I, I'm almost the same way. But we have stuntman Adishir Radpour on the
2: line with us. How's
1: it going, Adishir?
2: Hi, everybody. Nice to uh, meet you guys, and really, really uh, glad to be here. Thank you for the invite.
1: It's our pleasure. And I saw too you. You're an archery instructor. I I want to shoot with you. <laughs> I I love archery. Um, I have on my own a 65 65 pound uh uh. Bay Bear, Bear, double recurve curve bow and then I have a 75 have a 70 pound, 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 uh, pound uh,
2: compound, compound wow yeah I I uh, mean I've been, uh, I've been an since archer archer. I was five years old so mm. it's it's something that you know I, I did uh, quite a bit of uh, growing up and then, of course, uh, you know, being Persian, you know, we had it in our artwork, uh, mounted and you know, and dismounted, right. you know, mounted archers and stuff. It's it's all over Persian artwork, polo, hunting, you know, things like that. So I played polo professionally, and so the oh, archery cool. kind of came with the horses and horsemanship and. And then I went into mounted archery and, you know, I was doing that when there really kind of wasn't anybody doing it. There weren't that many people and there certainly wasn't an Internet for it to become uh, popular. But yeah. uh, So, yeah. So I've been shooting uh, quite a bit uh, and many different styles since I was uh, since I was a kid. So, yeah,
1: I may have to pick your brain on where I could go to get a left shelf right handed bow. Oh, that's that's
2: not that hard. I mean, there's. There's quite a few places. I mean, you know, a lot of the big name uh, they'll they'll make uh, left uh, left-handed uh, or left shelf you know bows as well. Um, you know, for me, um, you know, I'm right-handed, but you know, especially when it comes to you know more modern recurves and and my compound bows, but when it comes to the traditional bows. Uh, like the horse bows or long bows and things like that. Um, I, I, I shoot both sides, uh, you know, especially since, you know, you switch your bow over to the right side. Right, Shoot right. the right side of the horse, left side of the horse, you know, that kind of stuff. And, there's an interesting uh, little tidbit I can give you guys about that because I did all the archery training on the Avatar sequels. Oh, wow. And yeah, so I, at that time, um, you know, I was requested to do some pretty fast shooting, let's just say, uh, for that matter. So at the time, uh, I think I was the fastest archer. Um, so uh, the number was, was, was even absurd for me to believe that I was able to do it. But uh but it was interesting because, um, you know, when I did it and and got the job and, and I had to get in there and do my shooting, like as I was getting ready to run and shoot, because, you know, in front of the entire crew and everybody you know we're getting ready to run and and, and do some shooting and, you know last minute before the countdown happened they said oh hey for by, by, the, by the way i forgot to tell you all navi are left-handed so you have to shoot left-handed <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> i said all right no problems so i went to the other side and you know and shot it and the you know and i and i shot 5 arrows uh in 4.9 seconds wow uh, yeah at that wow. moment so it was it was pretty interesting to then all of a sudden have to do it left-handed but this the speed wasn't so important to me. It was just making sure that everybody knew how to shoot properly and had proper right. technique, and you know, and and less um, display type of archery and more combat archery. Right. A little bit of something that you would you would you would use in a say if if there was an actual engagement going on. Um, so, anyway, um, that's a whole other story. Yeah. we about yeah. Star Wars here. One, one of the reasons why I want to do the, the left
1: shelf is, is that's more um, historically accurate for shooting right handed. You know, you would load onto the left, back, you know, back way back when and then at some point i don't know when it changed where well even if you're holding the bow in your left hand you're you're now loading from the right instead of loading from the left
2: right so there's so there's a lot of theories that go on with that whether you're using uh what they consider a thumb draw you know a mediterranean draw and then the variant of persian draws or a reverse draw you know that kind of stuff a lot of people thought that was invented for avatar that's actually not the case there's there's a lot of historical evidence for people shooting that side. And yeah. you know, if you have loaded arrows in your hand, you could reach and shoot you know, this way and then switch over to shooting this way. Yeah. And if you're drawing from a quiver, are you loading? You know, we know there's both sides of that. And a lot of times people said, well, there's this what you call a Mediterranean draw, but you would see archers shooting that with the arrow on the right side with their thumb, you know, resting across yeah. their thumb on their bow. You would see them using thumb draws with it, you know, on different sides of the bow. So there's there's reason for uh, uh, for all of that stuff being done the way that it was done. Um, and, and again, that's a much larger discussion to get into. There's a lot of guys, there's really great guys uh, throughout Europe that have really, really mastered a lot of these techniques. And you could see the advantage and disadvantages of certain things. But like, for example, if you're using a, a, a Mediterranean style draw and you have a, an arrow on the right side, people say, well, you can't do that until people started looking at all the old English you know, and European drawings and they would see long bowman shooting with the Mediterranean draw with the arrow on the right side and they're like wait wait a minute we thought that wasn't done we thought Mediterranean draw required the arrow on one side some draw required right. the arrow see so I, there's a huge debate that goes on uh, back yeah. and forth about that I shoot Mediterranean uh, uh, yeah one on top both. two under bottom, two on the bottom right I, and, yeah. and again and you'll see a lot of people shoot with the arrow on top and modern archery uh, and when I shoot off a horseback I do a, a variant of a Persian draw even with a even with a thumb draw but if you're doing a mediterranean draw with the arrow on one side you're pinning the arrow with your finger against the bow yeah and same thing if you're shooting with a with a thumb draw you're still pinning it so that the arrow doesn't bounce off people don't realize once you get going on a horse that's what'll happen and on avatar one of the things that we did was when we reversed it as they were running the fingers that were holding the arrow one would come up and, and pin the arrow against the bow right, right, so right. that we could actually run run and leap through the air and flip and roll without the arrow bouncing around. Yeah. And this is something that it's, it's uh, it, there's quite a bit of evidence for it. Until you go to actually utilize it, I mean, how many archers are running and shooting and how many archers are running and shooting in, in sequence, and in multiple sequence, which was weird because when we were practicing and I was working with one or two people privately, you know, people at the archery range like, what the hell is going on over there? <laughs> I couldn't tell them. I couldn't tell them. Like, why are
1: these archers running by like, again? Yeah, don't worry about it <laughs> you'll, you'll see soon in, uh like you said we are a star wars podcast but Let's I mean, star wars. It, there's archery in, in star wars we saw in rise of skywalker we see omega with her yeah, well, yeah with,
0: exactly with her bow yeah well we've also seen um was named cheery yeah,
1: oh, yeah right 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 Yep, right um so first project you worked on was book of boba fett
2: Correct. Uh, So uh, Book of Boba Fett, um, it had two different pieces in it that I worked on. So when I um, got the call for that, it was it was for there's no way for me to tell what it was, but I knew it was going to be two characters. I had no idea what they were doing. You know, of course, until shortly before I had no idea what they were doing. I didn't even know that they were going to be within the same species or whatever until. We got close to it, uh, but the Book of Boba Fett was my was my first call. Correct,
1: and you did what characters in Book of
2: Boba Fett? So uh, this is actually kind of a, a fun little story. I'm v- I'm very good friends with um, a guy who played Barada Dickie Beer on um, okay on Return of the Jedi. So when I got the call for Book of Boba Fett, they said, hey, we can't tell you what it is, but can you come in for a fitting? And But not, uh, you know, just a fitting, but we, we need to cast you, like cast my head in everything. and everything. I said, okay. So when I went in there, they they looked and they said, hey, you're going to play this Clatoonian. I said, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And I couldn't even tell Dickie. You know, <laughs> he's in this world. He's in this world. I, I just said, oh, my God, I'll, you know, a year from now, I'll be able to tell him I'm doing honor to the character that he played. So he played one of the Clatoonians that was on the barge uh, in Return of the Jedi right. when Boba Fett went into the Sarlacc. But he was also Boba Fett that went into Sarlacc, which was pretty fun. Yeah. So, uh-huh. um, so I get to go, uh, uh, you know, into the... The studio and they said, hey, I said, wow, Barata, that's kind of cool. You get to play this, you know, kind of like obscure character. But like, I love the fact that, you know, uh, Favreau and Filoni pay such homage to to these little bit more distant characters and they bring him to the forefront. So I, I said, oh, I'm going to pull a mask on and call it a day the way that it was done. They said, no, we're doing uh, prosthetics on you. So they had made custom teeth for me. So I went in. They molded my teeth. They made fangs for me, and they put it in, which pushed my mouth out. It, you know, it gives you that kind of bulbous feeling. Mm-hmm. And with those teeth, and they cast my entire head in plaster, all the way down to my shoulders. So they cast everything, and um, they mold made a mold of me shaped like that. And then they built uh, the prosthetics of uh, Barada uh, on top of on top of that. So there was a there was a. Um, a a, a sculpting that was made of barata. they made the foam latex cast on it they put that on me and then we cast and made it so that we have a positive and negative of that so then uh if you just imagine around my face like this there was a cowl the head of the clatoonian that came down and then there was the face plate there was the lip and then there was the chin and then of course the teeth when they made that, um, I went in for a makeup session, and that was for the Clatoonian Don. That was the character that was sitting; who was the head of all the Clatoonians, sitting across from Boba Fett in the in Jabba the Hutt's palace. So he, um, that character, played the king of them. So he was very elegant, very clean, very uh, uh, regal in his stature. But they had made multiple sets of it because, uh, except for the um, the, the uh, cowl that that piece that covered everything else, they called it the Except for that cowl, they had uh, they tore the face and chin and everything up. Every time they took it off, they had to ruin that. And they very carefully removed the cowl. So the cowl, I, there were multiple uh, versions of the cowl. And so when that was being done, they said, hey, by the way, we're making an extra set of teeth. You're going to play another clatoonian. But they wouldn't tell me what was going on. Of course, everything is super, super top secret. I mean, I had a cloak on, I had people with umbrellas all around me, even for me to come out of the soundstage <laughs> and get into, uh, you know, a van to go someplace. So the Clatoonian Don was one. And then the other one, they needed to be distinctly different. And then I found out it was Cabba which was in the meat locker scene. And of course, I had no idea what was going on. You're, you're reading, you're reading the script and you're trying to figure out what's going on because you want to get yourself into character. So um, prior to the Clatoonian Dawn, they briefed me on what that scene would be. And I said, like, wow, this this is insane. So, you know, I have a little bit of a visual of what's going on. But who the hell ever thought I would be in Jabba the Hutt's palace? I mean, what a, what a kid's dream come true. Right. With Cabo I knew what, it was going, what was going on, but I had no idea who I was addressing. It was super top secret. Uh, so uh, as I got closer, I'm like, holy, holy hell, who the hell is going to walk through that? that door. I'm like, what's gonna happen? Well, a few days prior to that, we were getting um to the stunt rehearsals. And then when I saw, of course, who was in there, Latif and I and I was like, oh crap, it's gonna be Mando. I said, oh my God. <laughs> so I, <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> so I try to keep that try to keep that secret for, you know, a year. So of course we get in there and and we're doing the rehearsals, you know, uh with with the Dawn I did, of course, you know, with Tamora and Ming Nawe and and I had worked with her on Agents of Shield uh, so it was kind of neat to see her, but with the with Cabba that was a whole. You get in, and you're like, oh my god, it's going to be Bryce Dallas Howard. Holy crap! What a what an awesome honor to work with her. It's a whole different thing, and then here comes you know Brendan and Latif, and you're like, wow, okay. No pressure. <laughs> Not only do I have to act, but I got I got to do this fight sequence with everybody. But I knew that I knew what was going to happen um, when we got into rehearsals for that. And then that was a, and that was an interesting. We can we can get into that in, in a little bit. But so for Book of Boba Fett, it was the Clatoonian Don, and then it was Kaba Bias, which was he's kind of like a gangster, like you know, uh, he, he was more like a mob boss. The Don, and then this was kind of like the neighborhood gangster, the Thud, you know. And, and what was great about him is. I looked at the outfit. I said, you know who he reminds me of? And Shauna, who is just awesome, the costume designer. I said, He reminds me of the butcher from Gangs of New York, Daniel Day-Lewis, which that's exactly who we designed him after. I said, Great. <laughs> which I love the Gangs wow. of New York, but then I went and watched that movie again a, a bunch more times. I've already seen it fifty times. I had to go back and watch that movie again. So it was pretty fun.
1: Now the Don was voiced by Phil Lamar, right?
2: So yeah, so I did the I did the voicing on all of it. And the issue was that they needed those two characters. To sound very different, and and what was crazy was I actually liked my voice and delivery for the dawn better than <laughs> uh, than than Kaba because Kaba's teeth hurt. It was very. Very difficult to talk. You you can't talk the way I'm talking now right. with those teeth. If you, if I talk like this, I won't even look like I'm moving. So everything had to be done like that. Over exaggerated, yeah. Really over exaggerated. So when I was, you know, speaking for the dawn, it was, why should we shed the blood of our kind for a feud between you and the pikes? And I was even more elaborate and I was like, holy crap. And they they were really commenting on how good it was. But they needed to sound different. So they, they you know just I guess drew straws or whatever. I don't know what the process was. And then they voiced it over with Phil Lamar, and I'm like, "Oh my God, Phil Lamar is doing the voice for this." So I'm underneath it, and he's speaking over it, and I'm like, "Holy crap!" So when hey. Phil and I finally met. I go, "Dude, you're my James Earl Jones," <laughs> and he just started laughing. Phil's a great guy. Unbelievable, <laughs> and what a voice! Holy crap! Yeah. I was like, "Phil Lamar," I'm like, "That's my James Earl Jones." <laughs> so, uh,
1: awesome, Derek. I don't <laughs> know if you were you were on Weeby Geeks at the time or not when when we had Phil Lamar on Weeby Geeks. Ah. Uh, no I believe that was before my time okay so it was Marty and I yeah we interviewed F- Phil and on uh, one of the other shows that, that we do and it was it was such a good time yeah, he's just I mean
2: talk about crazy talent there you know yeah. <laughs> which by the way let oh, me yeah. just tell you I didn't even know until I watched the show and I was like oh holy crap! <laughs> you know, I had no clue <laughs> I was like oh my god
1: yeah well, Star Wars vet on, on his own having done uh, what Plo Koon and Mace Windu mm-hmm over Mm -hmm. on on the clone wars uh so second star wars project was obi-wan and star wars was obi-wan correct i know for sure because i've seen the pictures you were one of the 501st clones on the attack on the jedi temple yes sir how how cool was that to be Mm. in that armor and help fill in some of the gap of what happened at the temple
2: all right, so in order to do this answer any justice, I have to give you a little tiny backstory, okay? So, of course, I get on Obi-Wan, and I'm an actual member of the 501st Legion as well. So May the 4th comes around, and they're like, hey, we got to go do this parade. We're going to hang out. We're going to do this. They're like, actually, you coming? I said, no, I can't. I couldn't tell them why. They're like, ah, I'm, like I'm, I'm doing something. Oh, <laughs> well, what the hell? is May the 4th. We're to Star Wars. Come on, you're 501st. I said, no, no, guys, I can't. I couldn't tell them. It was my first day on set. <laughs> and I, it was my first day on set. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm there as a, you know, on all of these, I'm a stunt performer, but I'm there on, on those days uh, also as an actor in the checkpoint in episode three, when, uh-huh. when uh, he stops Freck and then he goes, Hey, you know, and, you know, raise your head. I said, I said so I'm here, I'm doing this on May the 4th. I can't tell these guys. Which then, of course, uh, Deborah Chow came to me, awesome woman, by the way, amazing human being, she should be duplicated a million times, I I would work for that woman for free anytime she ever needed. She comes up to me, she goes, hey, I heard your 501st Legion member, I said, yeah, she goes, oh my god, I want stormtroopers again, but unlike anything we've ever seen, I said, no problem, she goes, give me good ones, I said, no problem. And she said, but I want to talk to you about some other stuff. She wouldn't tell me. I said, sure, no problem. She goes, but it's got to be a little bit later, which, of course, now I'm like, what the hell does she want me to, she to, talk, to <laughs> talk to me about? I'm like, what's going on? Right? Right? So it's just killing me. <laughs> which, of course, then the other stunt guys that I knew came up and they're like, oh, yeah, hey, Deborah wants to talk to you about something. We can't tell you what it is. It's going to be down the line. I'm like, great. Now, not only was I hungry for what she wanted to talk to me about, what's going on? Well, there was one thing that we did on this show that is chilling for anybody who's a Star Wars fan you lose your mind i can i can only describe it to you guys and the best you can do is try to imagine it so I went 1977 to see Star Wars when it came out. And then, of course, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And then when they re-released them in movie theaters, you're like, you go see them and you're like, yeah. wow, what's one of the things that gives you chills? When you watch, for example, Darth Maul's fight, Ray Park's fight, which is my favorite fight of all time, but Ray Park's fight with Obi-Wan, you know, and and uh, Qui-Gon, you hear that Duel of Fates music. Mm-hmm. It makes you want to jump mm-hmm. out of your seat, right? There's a reason why. I'm telling right. you and then when you hear, you know, the the, the music for the fight between, say, um, Obi-Wan and Anakin and, you know, Revenge of the Sith, yeah. you, you're at the edge of your seat because it pumps you up. Well, let me just say this. When we were on set the very first time Darth Vader made his appearance, they're playing this music loud like a concert. So we're oh, not wow. we're not oh. just acting; we're feeling this. So you're feeling, you're like, oh, my God, holy crap, are, are they really doing this? And so when we were in the uh, scenes where, like, um, when the uh, speeders, the snow speeders, what we used to call snow speeders, came in and strafed that whole deck, they yeah. we were on there. They were playing the warning, you know, the saying, So you're feeling like you're in this empire, you know, uh, um, hangar, imperial hangar. Now, mind you, I'm telling That's you cool. this with one of the most fanatical Star Wars fans you'll ever meet in your life, just going and experiencing John Williams at this level, right? Uh-huh. And then when Obi-Wan first sees, you know, Darth Vader, they're playing this music. And when we're getting ready to do uh, other sequences, like when um, my uh, uh, friends from the 501st, my Legion members came in and we did that big invasion scene, they were playing that this music, these Imperial music. Imperial March or whatever it is. And one funny thing, when we were running down the corridors with the Inquisitor and the Stormtroopers running, they were playing the techno version of the Imperial March. So everyone was just lit like you can't oh, believe. Wow. We're just charged up. And everyone's like, like, you know, just just ready to go. Now we get to the 501st scene. They tell me what's happening. <laughs> I'm good friends with them. I said, guys, I don't give a head what the hell has to happen if i gotta fill in the goddamn grand canyon with dirt i'm gonna do it but i better be there the clone (laughs) days they're like you're there you're there don't worry about it so of course they knew me the whole costume department the 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 sound department everybody's like that's it attisher is the guy for all this stuff he knows how to tell them how to hold their blasters organize this stuff they all knew it they're like you know, the Deborah and Jojo would joke, like, hey, are we ready for the morning? And Jojo would be like, I don't know if we're ready. He's ready. He's I don't know if they push a button. He pops out of the floor, or drops out of the ceiling. But it's like he never takes the Stormtrooper outfit off. I'm like, hey. <laughs> right. So mind you, as much as they knew I love this outfit, the clone day comes and I'm beelining it to the soundstage where the armor is. The whole costume department is like, we've been waiting for you, Adisher. Here it comes. I'm just beelining it for this bin and this bag that has the helmet in it. And I unzip this thing and I see this, what was a CGI thing come to life. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I I was like literally in tears, Tears. just in tears, looking at this thing going, oh my God, we're the real clones. We're going to be real clones. And... So we put the armor on and we got ready. And then we're so there's sequences within that where, you know, the little the Jedi are um, practicing outside. Mm-hmm. But when the clones come in and in the, and the shooting begins and of course, when they're running through the corridors and then they go into the temple, the volume changes the look of everything. So there's actual set there. There's a full set there, but it paints the rest of the Jedi temple around you. So we're shooting these sequences. Now that I've prefaced you guys with all of this, what do you think they were playing? They were playing Anakin's march from Revenge of the Sith. Now, all I want to tell you is just imagine Lucas money, Disney money. I just want you to imagine the sound system that's in these studios and imagine... (laughs) You dressed as a clone with these little eight year olds and a good friend of mine, Ming Q, who was playing one of the Jedi, the one that saved the little kids and then and, and then sacrificed herself and that and we're as clones and they're playing this this insane music, this piece of brilliance that will last Forever in humankind mm. that John Williams made, and we are marching in, you know, and shooting and killing and wiping out Jedi's. Which, by the way, with the little kids, we were joking all day long. I would look at them and i be like, mm. and they would look back and like,
0: <laughs> so cute. But then of course,
2: and then Hayden comes in, and you know, he's just yoked and buff and tall and I think he's like six two and just menacing looking. I mean, his hair and all of that. I mean just as Anakin Skywalker as it gets. It's just yeah. flawless, Anakin Skywalker. He comes in and, uh, you know, my buddies are stunt guys. Like, okay, I guess it's Anakin Skywalker. I'm like, no, no, you guys don't understand. That's not Anakin Skywalker. That's Anakin Skywalker. You know what I mean? Hayden comes in, like, holy <laughs> crap, Hayden. It's so good to see. He goes, oh, dude, the most humble, nice guy you've ever met. Just so incredibly good. And he's shocked. He's like, I never saw clones. They were all CGI. I just walked in, in this blue screen. And he's like, Holy crap, look at the Jedi temple. And we're all we're all just amazed. But once they once they uh, turn that music on, once they the clones were there and we had done the killing and we march in behind him and he's marching in and he and he addresses young, um, young uh, Moses Ingram's character. Yeah. Yep. Moses Ingram's character. Once he addresses that character and he's addressing the other Jedi and, he, and we're there with him with the blasters. And there's a lot we shot that didn't you know, of course, it's, it's, it's not in the edit. It's their quick fly. You can't I can't even begin to tell you what it is. So for me, just to be one of those clones, executing Order 66 was insane because we all talk about Order 66. Right. Everybody talks about Order 66. So not only did I get to execute Order 66 and as a real clone, but I'm also the only 501st member in the 501st Legion in the world to actually be a 501st clone to execute Order 66. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, how is this, a, how is this not a dream come true? So it's just a chilling moment. And of course, we got called back to do all the individual plates where you see the battle going on and the different killings and all, all that other stuff that's going on and it was insane because you know now we're plate shooting these sequences and they're like hey Adisher, how do we kill some of these guys i'm like oh my god yeah double tap them, and drop them like this <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I just, we just went nuts mm-hmm. we they turned that unit over to us and we just went nuts you know like hey two guys come in this way two guys come in here hit 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 and, these guys get swiped but then that one gets shot and goes down and oh my god it was it was awesome
1: speaking of um being real life clone um Adam Savage, his channel uh, I think it's oh. tested. Did you see the one with the uh, person who designed the yes. f- first yes. and, and just even the two of them going, I can't believe we're standing here with actual clone armor real right. life clone armor.
2: So I loved that video and I would like to say I can understand how they feel standing next to that armor but since they're the ones they made it, I like to say they can understand how I felt yeah. when I first saw it. It's really more accurate. (laughs) First of all, she and I talk all the time about the armor, and it was really neat to see that because you get to see how, you know, we're still running through and scenes, you know, when you're dying and falling into screen or you're coming in, pop, 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 you're shooting. It's it's all fast. But when they're doing the interview, they're just standing there. You get to look at that armor. Now you get to see how I was looking at that armor. And of course, I took, you know, some pretty insane mental notes on it, but it was neat to see them bring it around and talk talk about what went into the design process, because what happens is to you, it's a helmet on a screen or it's a character, right? Let's just say for you, it's a character and you're like, wow, look at that clone trooper. And then you take a minute and you detach from that and you go, okay, it's a movie and that's a stunt man in there. And okay, so it's a helmet. I want the helmet, but people don't realize how much work goes into making it and Mm -hmm. what it takes to actually wear it. And I will say this for, for everybody. I love Stormtrooper armor. I'm comfortable in a lot of people complain about it whether it is stuntman or 501st members. Oh, I can't get my arm. Mine, mine fit me like a glove and I can do whatever the hell I want in him. Same thing on set. But I will say this, the clone armor, because we know what it is. Not only was it comfortable, but it, once you put it on, you got this crazy chilling feeling. You kind of t- walked differently because you've only seen them walk in with, you know, Anakin. We're right. actually at that point, you know, Darth Vader, you see him walking in with him. It's just, so you kind of pep up a little bit more. You, you, walk a little bit differently. So, so having worn the
1: different armor, Rex from Rebels kind of says it best. The clone armor was definitely a lot more comfortable to wear than in the Imperial Stormtrooper armor.
2: Uh, So if there's truth. Well, let me let me do it. I had no problem with the Stormtrooper armor. And neither 501st nor my set armor, which is brilliant armor, by the way. But a lot of people couldn't pick up their helmets. And so they, there was these different techniques. They're like, Asher, how do you pick up your helmet? I walked up and spun my thighs to the side and bent down. pick up like everybody went like that but the clone the clone armor it's built very similar to the uh first order armor in in style of build uh It's built very similar to the uh, First Order armor or the um, original trilogy, or we'll say Rogue One TKs. But the difference is that it's ergonomic, so the thighs split out around the armor, so it allows for different movement. Um, The helmet is smaller, and the helmet has got a large gap in it, just like a, a Stormtrooper helmet. But even with that large gap, I'm like, you know, I've got a big nose and I'm like oh, scraping past it and I'd get in there and then we're locked in. I mean, it's locked in. I hit the ground. You know, I was telling them, oh, I think on one day in that clone armor, I think I was somewhere around 45 or 50 times. Wow. And I mean, that's that's a lot of pounding and that armor. Took it took every bit of it. There's there virtually no damage on it that would be noticeable that you would care about at all. Um, And same thing with the uh, Rogue Mm. One TKs. I mean, we were hitting the ground with it hard, hard. I mean, in the water sequence, we're getting drilled by 24 water cannons that are hitting us at 80 miles an hour. So just imagine the beating Mm. that that armor Mm. is taking. So the comfort level, I would say, for me was the same. But I can tell you that once we got into the clone armor, every other stuntman outside of me was like, oh, my God, I love this way better. It's way more comfortable. It's just because it's (laughs) early Now, my last question
1: before I... (laughs) Before it seems like I'm hogging everything, I want these guys to ask, did you get trooping credit for all the times you were on set? Did the uh, 501st yeah. give you trooping credit?
2: Oh, you mean as far as the Legion goes? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think about that. I'm like, well, hang on. a second. What's really funny is we actually kind of did a little troop on set. We were in the um, in the corridors, the Imperial corridors. Remember when Obi-Wan closed yep. you know, the yeah. door on us and we were trying to get in? So at one point, guy comes up and he goes, Hey, uh, got some kids here. Um, they want to come see the stormtroopers. I like, guess yeah, the riders' kids. I said, This is my area. I go, guys, this is what we do in a troop. <laughs> so I literally had to teach the guys how to behave like 501st stormtroopers on a troop when we're out there and you know, kids and stuff are around. So we went over there and interacted with them and took photos, and the kids were just like <gasps> Oh, my God, are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, my God, real surfers. And we walked back and those guys looked and they said, this is what you guys do with the 50 first I said, yeah, and they're like, that's the freaking coolest thing ever. And I said, yeah, it is, it really is, isn't it? And I go, you kind of think it's geeky <laughs> until you put it on and you see some kids' eyes light up. You're like, yeah, that's what it's about, being a First member. Yeah. So maybe maybe I can qualify that as trooping credit. Uh, I don't know. I guess screen credit. I don't know about trooping credit, but we'll see.
1: Next census, I would put it all down. Yeah. Trooping. You know, what what troops did you do? Well, let's see. There was filming this day, (laughs) filming this day, filming this day. Exactly. Exactly. There was the there was the premieres.
2: Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. So, which I, by the way, a footnote for, for 501st Legion and everybody else, I don't know, you know, if you guys are members of any one of the organizations, um, I'm I two. coined in everybody. I coined in everybody that uh, I could on that set. Oh, wow. So Hayden and Ewan and Deborah and Catterley, the first AD and all them, they all got Southern California garrison coins. And oh, then the God. four garrison coins. Um, and then I, you know, a couple of the guys that were, really into it so i would have unique coins for them every day but like the two you know best guys jojo and justin and and, and then a couple of the other guys, Fong and, and John, they got coins virtually every day I was on set. I go, these guys have coins that the rest of the 501st Legion members would kill for. Right. But, you know, they, they got, you know, so I did my part as making sure I coined them and I told them every day. Now, granted, we don't pay for craft services when we're there eating or where I go. But if I coin you, if I coin you guys on set, lunch or whatever is on you guys. <laughs> so they had their coins with them every day. And I had my coin on my necklace every day in armor, every single day in armor.
1: I I'm a reserve Rebel Legion and Jedi Assembly. Ugh. Order sixty six, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> close the closest I have your set experience is um I'm part of opening team for the, the Galactic Star Cruiser the Halcyon. Oh my god. It's so so cool. to be a part of that and uh as a technician but still walk on walk into that building and be a part of that. It's like oh yeah this is this is something else. Oh so I, I, I totally understand uh the inclusion that you're getting right. on set. because uh, right. I experienced the same thing doing during that cruise. But right. Ken Derek I have monopolized a lot of this so far and there's two other you know we're the smugglers three not the not mike yeah. and not ken and Derek and the schmo that talks a lot <laughs> so ask away guys oh this has
0: been fantastic i've been enjoying it but um actually i want to go way back or as far back as you go how did you actually get into doing stunts and acting
2: so that's a good question. You know, I, I had all these weird skills that, you know, as far as archery goes, it's archery. A lot of people do archery. They do Olympic archery, but how many people are doing, you know, unless you're part of a, like a, a medieval group or something like that, how many people are doing like mounted archery and, you know, things like that. So one of the things that was dear to me was, and I'm very proud of my, I'm red, white, and blue as American as it comes, but I'm very proud of my Persian heritage. You know, it goes back quite a bit. So they was, there was never any uh, real representation of Persians in movies and things like that. So I started building, you know, not just this stuff, but actual Persian armor. And oh, wow. then, then you start practicing those skill sets. Mm. And, you know, as a kid, I was, I was in martial arts and, you know, riding horses and archery. And, you know, then you start practicing it a little bit more in an actual a martial field, not just... You know, what is deemed what you do inside of a gym with rules and, you know, things like that. How do you actually deliver these blows? These are not skills that everybody practices unless you are in law enforcement or military or something like that today. Right. Right. So I was accruing all these skills. And then, you know, I I went to USC, University of Southern California, and I played polo there. And then after I graduated, I started riding the horse during the football games. So go Trojans. And casting director after casting director would come up and they were like, man, you've got great presence. You should be doing this on film and TV. And I said, are you kidding me? It's a pipe dream. It's a city of 13 million people. Everybody wants to do this. I never thought of it as being real. So when I graduated, I started a tech company and and I was playing polo professionally as well. So then they would call us and they would say, hey, we need some you know, polo players for a commercial for like Ralph Lauren or Hennessy Whiskey or something like that. Sure, no problem. I'd go do it and I had a fun time with it. I thought that was interesting. And um, so that was kind of there a little bit. And then like a TV show would come up or a movie would come up. Hey, we need some polo players. I'm like, okay. So every once in a while I'd go do it and I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty neat to do. In 2008, when the economy collapsed, um, I got offered an opportunity to work on a show called Deadliest Warrior, which was really fun. I'm Let's like, go, holy I got going
1: to ask that
2: a little later. I, I said, love oh. that show. I'm like, this is, okay, so let me get this straight. I get to, first of all, represent a Persian, then represent, you know, Hernan Cortez. And then, but they kind of want people that knew, knew how to do archery or weapon work with something. So they asked you, would you mind training this person? I said, sure, no problem. And I realized that when they said, hey, we're wrapped for the day, I hated going home. I hated hearing that. And I, I said, you know, if you're going to make a transition, now is the time to do it. So I decided, all right, I'm going to go to the bottom of the barrel. So here's a guy who has a master's degree. He had a tech company. All right, I'm going to leave all of this and I'm just going to maybe try and be a, a, a an actor or a, a stuntman or a wrangler. Ooh, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is just kind of cold turkey jumped into this world. And um, now, all of a sudden, those weird skills that you have become assets. Mm-hmm. Well, holy crap. He can actually wear armor and joust. He can actually do mounted archer. He can actually. Make contact horse to horse, you know, whatever it might be. So now all of a sudden these become assets that you're like, well, I didn't know what to do with them before, but now I kind of know what to do with them. But how do I market it to people? So I slowly started to just, you know, do a smaller job and a smaller job. And a lot of the wranglers or that became stuntmen or stuntmen or actors that said, hey, we were background actors. So was, you know, George Clooney. So was Brad Pitt. All these guys sign up for this you know, background, get some set experience. So I kind of did that, but I didn't really go down that path because I was working more with horses and here and there with some stunt professionals that kind of helped guide me down this path. And then, you know, you say in this world, in the stunt world, a lot of people say that you want, they want to be a stuntman. I said, if you say something, you have to deliver it. There there is no, hey, I couldn't do it. You're going to risk somebody's life or your life or you're going to cost production money. So I took my time climbing up this world and, um. So as that happened, I started meeting more and more people. Oh, mind you, Star Wars is just way the hell out there in no man's land. As far as as far as I'm concerned, forget the Mandalorian world. Go back to New Hope. Star Wars to me was Tatooine. Nobody lived on Tatooine. There was nothing there. Just some guy trying to farm water, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. I never thought about that stuff. So as I started doing stuff and I started climbing, you know, what is all your expertise and knowledge about Star Wars worth anything? It doesn't mean anything. You watch Rogue One, you're like, wow, there's this huge, epic movie that comes out. But then they started announcing that Mandalorian was going to come, you know, that kind of stuff. So you mm-hmm. start branching out now. Now, even how the armor or the expertise in specific history or combat arts became an asset. Now, all of a sudden, this this stuff became an asset to, holy crap, man, I can actually do something with this instead of being called a geek because I collected stuff. Now it actually applies to the Star Wars world. So then there was some luck um, and some trust. Uh, I will have to say, um, I'm forever indebted and grateful to J.J. Dashnell for trusting me with that part. And he said, come on board. This is, yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to send you the audition. You do this and you go from there. And then, oh, yeah, but these are Clatoonian characters. And then, of course, obi One was beginning to film. And I said, I'm going to actually pursue this harder. And I sent uh, uh, messages out to uh, uh, Jojo Eusebio and, and Justin uh, Dobies, who was the assistant coordinator on it which became two of the biggest pleasures i've ever met to the greatest people i've met in life and um i said hey guys you're, you're not going to find a better stormtrooper i said this is obi-wan kenobi and this stuff has to be done right it has to be represented right. this is an imperial presence. There's no way around it. And they trusted me. This said, sure. No problem. Bring him in. And uh, we went in and they cast me as a stormtrooper in it. And they said, hey, we want you to we want you to stay on. We want you to technically advise all this stuff. Be one of the stormtroopers to the show. So it's, I'm giving you the cliff notes version of how stunts and stuff trends. You know, I got into stunts and then how it led to Obi-Wan. Sorry to butt in real quick. Um
1: you're in Skeleton Crew. Is it safe to assume without violating too much at some point you're doing stunt work as a trooper in Skeleton Crew?
2: So what I will tell you about Skeleton Crew is that I'm in Skeleton Crew. All right, enough said. <laughs> and that, that conversation is <laughs> over. I am a stunt performer in it. That that's 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 pretty obvious you can see that within the credit. Um, but I, I can tell you this much: I don't even know what's going on in Skeleton Crew. Okay. I can't. I can't even tell you. I know the characters or whatever it is that I'm playing, whatever that particular visual representation is. I don't even know what is going on in Skeleton Crew. Skeleton Crew is a is a massive mystery, which is I can't wait. I can't I wait can't, to see because I can't. I, can't, I can't even begin to tell you is it is it, it going to be serious? Is it going to be whimsical? What, what's it, gonna, it? There's there's just no way. The only thing I can say about Skeleton Crew is uh, what's already been put out there. Uh, uh, by you know uh, somebody right. like uh, George who's a the coordinator they're like yeah there's kids in it but if you think this is a kids movie you're in for another trip yeah and that was a brilliant way of putting it because even to me that was like wow okay cool I can't wait to see what we did in it so uh, yeah other than skeleton other than the fact that I'm in skeleton crew that's I can't say anything else about that no problem I, I thought I would go with a safe question <laughs> and apparently it wasn't that safe <laughs> <laughs> right. let, let, me, let me just let me, yeah. let me, let me add to that Before, before it airs, there is no such thing as a safe question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly.
1: I was going to say uh, I was I'm, I'm wondering, I really want to know
2: what it's like to work in uh, in the volume. Are you guys still there? Can you guys see yep. me? Yep, we yeah we see you. Okay, I don't my my screen blacked out. I don't know why.
1: Uh, you're you're frozen on our screen at the moment, but yeah, that's weird. I don't know how to activate that. Uh, give the give the internet a chance to catch up. Um,
2: mine just did the same thing. So, right. Uh, let me see. It is it, 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 Skype. Is Skype, Skype, Skype buffering? There you go. There is you're that back good? Back. Okay. I apologize. What was your question again? Um, what, what, what is, what's it what's like, it like to, 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 to work, work to perform on the volume? volume? Wow. That's a, that's a great question. Um, uh, so for me, the volume is, it's like working in the real world. Okay. Uh, there's, there's nothing like mm-hmm. being in an actual set where there's dirt and there's sky and, you know, whatever it might be, tanks are coming, horses are charging, whatever is going on. It's, phenomenal okay what the volume does is it gives you these worlds that you can't really have in controlled environment right there so my question for you is show me the show me the real jedi temple or coruscant or a or a imperial hangar you can't unless you go and build it build it but you kind of need pretty you know, you need imperial credits to be able to do that. We just don't have them, like Beskar and all, right? So if you put me on a horse and we're out and on on a field, that's a pretty awesome feeling. Well, what now translate that to being on the deck of a, for example, you know, a, a base station, an imperial base station or now all of a sudden you're in the Jedi temple. You know, when I walked into the Jedi temple, they're like, well, we just lost Adisher for five, 10 minutes. And they're like, well, it's a good thing he's always an hour early. I'm just like walking around, just like, doesn't it get tiring? I'm like, are you kidding me? This is an Imperial hangar and now it's a Jedi temple. And I'm like, oh my God, I just, he couldn't stop staring at it. And so all of a sudden the, the next set of sequences we would shoot, you'd come back in there and it was the interior of the Jedi Temple. So you're on the volume and there's a corridor with buildings, like actual practical sets. And you're shooting and you're looking at that outside deck where the little Jedis were practicing. And you go for lunch, you come back and it's the interior of the Jedi Temple.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And you're like, oh, this is just unbelievable. So you're, you're really looking around going, wow, now I'll, I'll give you the other example. So in, in Book of Boba Fett, you know, usually a lot of sets, you'll see the walls and they're pretty tall, but the top is open. So that's where all the lighting and stuff is, right? In the Imperial Corridors, the lighting is the lighting. It's such perfect lighting. Wow! It's wow. the lighting. They didn't light it. It was like that. But in Book of Boba Fett, they had to light it, but the top was closed. So literally when we walked in to the to Jabba's palace, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm inside Jabba the Hutt's palace. And my buddies, you know Frank and Colin, were the Gamorrean guards. So they go walking by as Gamorrean guards, and I'm like, "Holy crap! They look real. They don't. They didn't look like mascots, like in Return of the Jedi. They look real. You're like, "Oh my God! These are real Gamorreans." And then the other Clatoonians and Aqualish and all of them, you know, Trandoshan would come in, and you're like, "Oh," and you would see, you know, the uh, uh, what do you call it? They would um, smoke the room, so it gives a depth, and you're like, "This is a practical set." You're like, "Oh my God." Well, the next scene that we were going to shoot with Cabo Baez was in the volume, and they had this giant practical set. So there was the meat locker, you know, where he walks in and all. That's all real. So you're seeing this real set, and then there's the door, and then the hanging, you know, plastic things. He walks through it, and then my office, let's call it the Clatoonian office, is there with, you know, with meat hanging, you know, down. Like, uh, there was a, you know, big giant, you know, uh, carcass hanging down But the volume painted everything else. It painted the walls and the ceiling. So now this set that is, you know, whatever, just I don't remember the dimensions of it, but let's just say 100 foot by 100 foot now is 200 feet and by 200 feet. And so you're looking at the wall. So if there's a practical set like here, there's tables and they're cutting meat behind them. There was this whole other wall that was going and they had meat on hangers just going by and droids flying by the walls, cutting them and working on them. And I'm like, holy crap. And sometimes it would freak us out because we're like, we'd see this droid coming in. I'm like, wow, I thought that was real. I thought that was an actual like suspended from cables. Like this droid would come into the room. But you're like, so you really you really are experiencing another world in the volume than, than you normally would. And what was crazy, there was a, first of all, the volume is an incredible piece of, technology because it's just this giant platelets and they're flawless. But when one would go bad, they would just pop it out and replace it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what? But they just pop that out and they just plug it back in. But at one point we were standing there and I looked and I have a picture of this. Somebody took a picture of it. Now oh, I gotta have that picture and they gave it to me. But the the one whole section of the volume went bad. Like it just disconnected and it put up like its screensaver image until they recoded it back into what it needed to be. And that image was from Return of the Jedi when the Emperor lands and it was a profile of the Emperor and Darth Vader. I said, oh, my God, I am home. I go, this is this is home. And it was insane to see that because the whole thing just all of a sudden, once they fix it, it came alive. And then you're you're seeing it like it's like you're looking at the real world now. The one thing about the volume that i will tell you guys you know they, they kind of touch on it in in the mandalorian behind the scenes it's called parallaxing and so what what it does is if you just project an image on a wall um as your camera moves you lose the perspective because it's going to look like it's stationary but what happens is that view that field of view for the camera whatever it is that they have is set to depending on the lens As that camera moves, it moves the perspective of it. So, for example, if you're looking down a tunnel and the camera is up here, it can't see the roof. So it's showing the floor going in. But as the camera comes down, the parallaxing makes it to where it can see the roof of the tunnel. Awesome. So as you're filming, it's shifting around, which feels really weird. But on camera, it's stationary. And like the Jedi Temple scene for a second, I remember – when the kids go, what do we do? We run, and they took off running. All of a sudden, you hear Deborah and Cataly go, "Why do they stop?" And they're like, they're at the edge of the volume. So if they would have gone any more, they would have actually fallen off the deck of the volume. But you can't see it on monitor because it looks like this long bridge just continues to go. They literally stop halfway because they can't go any further. It's that. It's that deceiving when you're in there. You're like, oh my God. And it's just a, it's now, again, you're on the volume and and imagine this Jedi temple being painted for you. And they're playing this song and you're like, oh my God, this is real. It's very, you know, there's blue screen floor because it's a bridge, but it's very difficult for you to not immerse yourself in that world because it's just right there. And you just you know, you stand in and you're marvel and you know, and the other guys that are, you know, like or whatever, we're over it, we're just working. They're like, Look at we've we've lost that I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, like, I'm, I, just, I'm in this other world. I think for yeah. me the for first, me, time, the
1: first I time I wanna, time see, I wanna the, see the the volume. The volume. I wanna see I wanna them, see take, them the take the house on halcyon and put it up put it up so I could, so because I, I, I know how I, know how feel, how I, feel, how I feel, feel when I go, when I go on the house. Right. I want to see if I get that, if that that that, translates translates in the volume, in the volume,
2: they can make anything they want translate on that volume because they're literally like, if you look at Mandalorian, they've got practical set, dirt and rock and everything built up. And then the volume paints the rest of it. So if you think they can't make it work, you'll be surprised. Like, for example, I'll give you an example, Jedi Temple, one thing, but on that hangar bay. When you're in there, um, you're looking at polished floors, polished black floors, shiny floors. Which, by the way, when we ate it and when we hit hard, we'd scuff the floor up and immediately guys would be there cleaning it up. So as we're walking around there, let me tell you, you're looking around. You're like, oh, my God, that's an imperial wall that goes up. And then you look across the roof and there's TIE fighters hanging. You're like, oh, my God, there's a whole squadron of TIE fighters that are up there. And then they were joking with me. I said, what kills us, by the way? They're like, I, I don't know, it's a, it's just, it's a ship. It's a sh-. And I'm like, what is this ship? And I'm like, they're like, can you guys play it for Adisher so he can see it? And Deborah was standing next this, room. I'm like, oh my God. I go, You go. Girl, you're going to legend status. She goes, what do you mean? I go, that's a beloved ship. That's a snowspeeder. What do you mean it's a ship? It's a snowspeeder. Like, is that a big deal? I'm like, it's a huge deal. So they would play it and I would see these ships come in and, wah, 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 wah. you know, they would sh- strafe the entire deck pop, and they fly through and you're like, so for that moment, you do disappear. You just completely disappear. And it's so real that I thought they shifted the volume because when we turned around and shot the outside, we're still on the same deck, but they shifted everything around there. Like, Can you guys rotate the volume? And it would just rotate. And then now we're on the outside of it. And you're like, okay, I believe it. Now we're on the outside. Now we're on the deck. Now, mind you, our deck only went so far, but they painted the deck to go out further on the volume. I'm like this was just the back door. Now it's the outside. It's insane. It's incredible. the The genius in what they have done is is incredible. It's film. It's filmmaking at a whole different. It gives you a lot of practicals. Which, by the way, Obi Wan Kenobi used the volume more than any one of the other series. We had more volume time than any one of the other series, and you can't tell. You can't tell what's practical and what's not. There's the. The strafing scene is in a volume when we're running in the corridors. That's practical. That's real corridors. Uh, we went to a specially made corridor out uh, at a, a special effects lab that was all steel for the water sequence. We actually got drilled by that water sequence, you know, and so we we're shooting three different pop, 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 pop scenes, you know, through this, and you can't tell which one is practical and which one is real and which one is not.
0: Um. Talking, um talking about how, you how, about how they move they, around. around thing. the thing. Did first? First used to did it. it did it, at it,
2: it, all? No, uh, uh, not really. Um, because it's not like it's moving. So where you're like, wait, hang on a second. It's not like they're rocking it like you're on a boat, which I guess it could upset some people's equilibrium. But imagine it like this, and then just go. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> there was a door there. Now there's blue sky and an outside deck. It just it can move that quickly and they can position it however they want. Like um, so imagine like this, and we're coming this way. Okay. So when they wanted to shoot the profile, they did it a quarter turn on it instead of a you know, they did a ninety degree versus a full 180. So they could turn it and they would move the set dressing around, and now you have a profile shot of how these troopers are moving through and setting up and getting ready to do their sequences. So it doesn't because it's not a volume that has actual like wave, like motion or anything like that. You're more amazed by it when they do it than anything else. You just stop and you're like, man, give me the joystick. I want to, I want, it's, it's like literally living in a virtual reality world so that you can spin around and see things. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting experience. That answer your question, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, um, what else are you guys curious about? Uh actually uh, actually uh,
1: I'm gonna take the time it's, time, it's, it's a weird scenario a weird we got scenario, going on. Going on. the three of us, three are, hearing us are hearing echoes, echoes but you're, you're, you're fine. fine. Yeah. Uh so so it's, so the, it's the first order trying to interfere with things. With That's okay. okay. That's okay. Uh, but but um, I wanna take this wanna time, take this time, and, time flip and flip the tables and, the tables, and let you ask us a couple couple questions. A couple questions.
2: Yeah, uh, well, uh, what did you guys think of Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi?
0: I thought they, I were, thought they were awesome. awesome. Um, the, for me, me Obi-Wan Kenobi, Kenobi you, you, you even said you used, used the volume, more, volume than more than anything. That was that the was one the show one that show I think showed, showed, for me on for a tech side, side, it was, it it was showed showed little a little bit of the little limitations of volume. volume. Because, because if you were shooting low light at the volume, you could almost tell from inside, outside. I had the same problem when I see soundstage at the rooftops at night night sound stage. You can, you can tell you're, you're not an at night an um,
2: an um, and, and for me, me long,
0: long long long, it, it looks like I could tell, I can you, tell you, to the the you if, if you, you ran a, a run all on both of the head wearing outside the desert, you can't tell them in a bright light I don't know if you could see if you if you things like that or
2: um so i agree with you but all the exterior scenes that with with certain exceptions on Obi-Wan were exteriors, like, uh, even in the low light situation, like, uh, you know, the whole first fight between Vader and, you know, um, Obi-Wan, it's, it's, it's all, we were in a quarry, you know, we were shooting at night. There was a specific look and feel that they wanted for it. That's how it was shot. Um, so the low light situation might've been a more of a creative decision versus the, um, the volume decision, because in even in the Mandalorian and uh Book of Boba Fett, you'd be surprised what was in the volume and what was outside, uh, you know, of, of the volume. Like, um, you know, like uh, a Cabo you know, everybody you know thinks that that meat locker scene, for example, was you know, um, in some set like in some actual meat storage facility and it wasn't, and they were able to replicate that cinematic feel of like the cold, you know, hard room. I mean, I saw that scene when I was doing my voiceover and stuff like that for it. And I'm like, oh my God. I mean, I was in there. I remember what it looked like. And this looks even better. I mean, it looked pretty darn close to what we shot. So the volume did that. Only thing they changed was, you know, VFX and sound and music and tones and, you know, things like that. Um, So the volume, the, the, the one advantage I will tell you that the volume has because they can make it look like you're not you're not inside. I, I can promise you that. The one advantage that it has is what people don't know is there were moments where it was 115 degrees. Mm-hmm. And but let me tell you something. If you think it's if you think it's hot being 115 degrees, try being 115 degrees and being in a rock quarry. I mean, in, in a quarry, but by nature, you're in a, a hole in the ground and that heat is trapped and it's magnified by the rocks. They were shooting scenes in that quarry, and we were shooting other sequences of it in, uh, for other, other shots. We were in, in the soundstage, and we could work 14 hours, no problem. And, uh, you know, we were thinking to ourselves, I'm like, oh, my God, those poor guys in the quarry are getting killed right now in the heat. And we were able to go on, and those scenes seamlessly went together. And so I think that some of that had to do with um, more creative decision on like what was that look that they were trying to get? Okay, were they okay. trying to keep it low light? Were they trying to keep it a specific setting, or were they trying to you know, um, you know, make it hot and bright and you know whatever? You'd be surprised. Um, Especially if you walk into the volume, you'd be surprised when they snap their fingers how accurately they can change that lighting. The one thing that the volume does give you that the practical world gives you that a lot of other sets don't is you get the reflections like in the Mandalorian's helmet of the actual landscape in in that type of a thing. And you can manipulate it to where you're not seeing camera reflections. I mean, you still have to be careful for it, but you're not seeing camera reflections and, and things like that. As well as you know, when you're shooting um, in the volume, as well as exterior, uh, you know most people have seen some of the behind the scenes footage. But those were actual super lit up lightsabers. Uh, the neopixel technology, and it was unbelievable because when they would light it up, I would lose I would lose sight of the fact that I was in a scene with you, and I, I would tell him, I'm like, that's Obi Wan. I'm in a scene with Obi Wan because his lightsaber is lighting up, and you would see the reflections off of him, off of the walls when their sabers would come together. Um, and I thought you would lose a little bit of that outside, but you didn't. So it was interesting to see that the volume would pick it up the same way because you would think it's, well, if it's not a real, uh, for example, chrome or shiny wall, how is, it, how is it going to reflect the light back? Because you're not going to have a reflection back on it. But you can't you can't tell that. You can't tell which ones are. It would be, it would be other than you using your imagination to be like, well, they're inside of a starship or they're inside of a this or that or whatever it is. It's very difficult to tell which ones are going to be volume or not. You'd be surprised, to be honest with you. You know, there are a lot of the stuff that you might think would be low light volume. For example, the end fight between Vader and um, Obi Wan. I watched them build that. That's practical as practical gets. It's insane how fast they built. What a it's such a monster set. It's insane. That that's not volume, you know. So, it's interesting to see. Uh, it's interesting to hear you say that because. Um, I didn't notice it, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah. So maybe,
0: so it, was maybe just, it was just a choice of choice lighting. lighting. It felt a little, a little bit, bit, little bit little side, side.
2: Yeah, it, it might have been, was because most of the exterior stuff was was exteriors, except for, of course, you know, when he goes down to the planet to fight, and then you, you had to have a controlled environment to be able to uh, to be able to replicate that. And boy, let me tell you, when you walked into that soundstage and you saw it, you thought you were outside. They bring these giant blocks of foam, giant giant blocks of foam. You're like, well, what the hell are they going to do with this? And one week later, you look at it and you're like, oh, my God, it's in a, it's literally like going to Vasquez Rocks or, you know, going out to, you know, Wyoming or something like that. And you are literally in that world. So it is a lighting choice that, that they made for that. Okay, okay.
0: Um, the um, other, the other choice, uh, um Chadwick, was not as much about um We've had we've a few who are, are members of 501st, but, but no, I don't think we've had anyone who, who is a easy, trooper in the 501st. So, so, how did you add that? That's of, um, to, um, like like being a trooper, 501st.
2: So that's actually a really fun story for me to tell. You know, when so when I was doing stuff with USC, we always did charity events. I always did stuff for Ronald McDonald House or. You know, cancer groups or whatever and the mascot would go there. and then playing polo professionally, we did I probably I don't know how many th- you know thousand uh, charity events we we raised money for playing polo. I mean, I was hired to play, and then the event would be raising a couple hundred thousand dollars for some some charity someplace. When I got into the film business, i there there's a lack of that. you, you know you're working. you're not necessarily involved in in events. and I was a huge star Wars fan and and uh and coincidentally something had come up i think i saw a video of 501st legion marching uh, in the rose parade and just by accident i was like wow i was like oh my god this is pretty neat and then i remember saying oh hey you know they came on uh the mandalorian how cool is that and then i looked into it and i said oh my god it's not just a star wars group it's actually a costume group I hate calling the 501st Legion cosplay. It's not cosplay to me. It's a costume group, and that costume group devotes its time to all different types of community um, outreach programs, whether it's a charity or or, or promoting something like a uh, like a youth group or uh, law enforcement or military or whatever it is. I said I, I have to be a part of this because inside of me there there was something missing of giving back. I, I can't just take take take. I can't. I'm not saying that it's take, you work and you get your money. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is I'm working and I am getting something for it. Where's my turn to give that back? And, um, you, know, you know, I've coached a lot of kids, you know, whether it's an archery or a pole or whatever. It wasn't enough. And 501st did a lot of that and it kind of really resonated with me. So I decided to join the 501st Legion. And, of course, stormtroopers were my favorite. And I was like, OK, great. I'm going to build a stormtrooper outfit. Holy crap. What did I get myself into? I'm, <laughs> I'm working with leather and and metal have uh, built you know helmets and armor and swords what am i going to do with all this abs plastic like well, what do you do with plastic and then sure enough some of the most helpful people in the world helped me um and guide me along building uh that armor and now it's my turn to help other people um uh build and 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 advance their armor up the different levels which by the way interesting note. Uh, as of this month, like I think uh, tomorrow, it will be my third year anniversary with the 501st Legion. Oh, congrats. So, congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Great group of, you know, I, I've met some of the best people I could have ever uh, hoped in meeting and made some incredible friends. Uh, and it's great because it's worldwide. You get to have contact with people in Norway and Spain and UK and China and Japan and Saudi Arabia and wherever, wherever it is, you know, Australia. You just get messages from people all over the world, and I mean, I have to say, nothing is a hundred percent, but I'd like to say that Five Oh First is about ninety-nine percent good people, which is incredible to me. You know, very much so. Very much yeah. so.
1: Yeah. Again, Derek, Again, any questions? Derek, any questions?
2: I can't hear Derek if he's asking. Yeah. So. yeah. Derek, I think you're muted. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Either that, Either that or
1: your studio your ones, studio
2: acting, ones up. acting up. Yeah, it looks like he's talking. Yeah, that's, but probably, I can't
1: that's, probably, hear. that's probably that's
2: probably probably probably. What is that?
1: Sorry, sorry. Uh, sorry software, uh, we software we use. Software we use.
2: Oh yeah, I can't. I can't hear him.
1: Can final questions? Final questions. Um, I think, I think most of what, what I had. Oh, oh. <laughs> this has
0: this been, been fantastic. fantastic.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, if I may, you know, one of the things that, you know, um, for me is, is is crazy is, you know, and I think it's an interesting little tidbit. There's just no way for anyone to know unless I say it. But, you know, as a kid, you know, I grew up in Iran. I came, I came here on vacation Wow, and the revolution happened. Right. So my dad and I, you know, we would sit and watch cowboy movies like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood and you know, all these incredible movies. And then I came here and I'm like, oh my God, yeah, we're in America. I get to go to Disneyland. I get to do this. I'm like, okay. And revolution happened and I stayed here. And (laughs) I remember calling my dad from the set of American Sniper. I said, you want to know how great America is? And I go, I'm standing on set with Clint Eastwood. Now I'm thinking good, bad, and ugly. I'm thinking the cowboy, my dad goes, the guy from Firefox. And I go, yeah. (laughs) Right. So, you know, and then as a kid, you know, you go to see star Wars, you're like, Oh my God, this is insane. Just like everybody else who saw star Wars. Like, you know, now everybody's used to sci-fi movies, but when star Wars came out, we're like, what, how, how is this even possible? You know, now fast forward. And, you know, I can't even say it's a dream come true, but just imagine telling that kid back then, you know, that little spastic high energy adderser, hey, one day you're going to be a stormtrooper. It's just no way. There's not okay. a possibility in that. I remember even wondering, are stormtroopers robots or are they humans? We were asking those questions when A New Hope came up. We're like, what are, what are they? You know, and um, and I remember my friends as kids, you know, just being like, oh, my God, how is this possible? And now you fast forward to today and I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I get to say I'm in Star Wars I would have I would have given years off of my life to be Stormtrooper number 300 that's behind the mountain. And you just see the top of his helmet and he gets shot and falls away. And that's it. That's all you ever saw. The top of his helmet. Not even, you know, the eyes or whatever. And then to be, you know, in these scenes, it's incredible. And, you know, likewise with uh, with Avatar, you know, to be Na'vi, to be running around Pandora. Are you kidding me? I had to keep that secret for... <laughs> Oh yeah, five years or (laughs) five or five years or six years. You know, you're training people, and you're like, "Whoa, my God, are you kidding me?" But I have to say, those two, you know, I I got to work on Batman versus Superman to see that going to fruition. You're like, "Wow, this is insane!" But I I have to tell you, you know, Avatar, being what it is, is is definitely one of the top, you know, on my list. Of you know, I can't believe that, you know, uh, they gave me the opportunity to do that. I'm, I'm forever indebted to them. But Look, you know where Star Wars sits in our hearts. Uh, you know, it, it's just something that, you know, when you get that call, you're still pinching yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the, the first day on on, on Boba Fett, I, I just kept looking around and they're like, What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm keeping from crying. I don't want to ruin the makeup. I said, I'm literally sitting here. Tears are going to roll down <laughs> my eyes if I actually stop. So I had to interact with people. I had to talk to people and interact with them. I said, Because if I stop and they're like, Wow, man, you love this stuff. I say, Yeah. I said, if I actually stop, I will tear up. And Jamie, who was my my <laughs> my makeup artist, he and I became very good friends. He's a Star Warsy like as as I am. He said can you believe we're doing this? I said, no. And so after the first day, I was like, oh my God. Oh my, he goes, not yet. And I said, okay, okay. The next day when it was done and they're like, that's a wrap. He goes, now go ahead and let it out. I said, oh my God, I'm in Star Wars. And then <laughs> Tamora, uh, tomorrow came in and he was hilarious because he's just the nicest, hardest working man. tomorrow came in and goes, Aisha, I said, yes. He goes, I have to see what you look like. <laughs> I said, Holy shit, you look so different. And I said, yeah. So it was pretty neat. And, and I remember um, I was sitting in Boba's throne because Kevin, the director, pulled me aside and he goes, I want to talk to you. I said, oh, crap, I'm fired. They're going to send me home. This guy can't act. What the hell? He was, you know, a senior. And I said, yeah. And he goes, can you keep it up for two days? And I said, oh, yeah, I can. And then um, at that point, he, uh, Ming-Na came up and she goes, man, you've, we can tell you've been you've been really preparing for this for a long time. And as she's saying this to me, Favreau and Filoni walk up and I said, since 1977, she goes, oh, my God, Filoni goes, good answer. And I said, <laughs> I mean, I was this close, this close many a times. I'm just breaking out in 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 tears or. Or looking at, you know, you and I, I told them I said, they could have searched a thousand planets for a thousand years and they couldn't have found a better Obi-Wan than you to take over what Alec Guinness did. Oh, my God, that means a lot. I'm like, oh, my God, are you kidding? Coming from you or Hayden, you know? Oh, my God, it's such an honor to meet you guys. I said, well, you got it backwards. You got it way backwards. So it's, I can't even, for anybody who's a Star Wars fan, not somebody who went and saw the movie and is like, oh, yeah, I like Star Wars. I mean those people who literally live and breathe it. I can't even begin to tell you guys what it feels like to be in those situations. And then when they up the level and they're playing music and you're hearing John Williams and you're that's Hayden, but that's really not Hayden. That's Anakin. And that's a real clone. I'm one of them. And you know, you're hearing this stuff. You're like, oh my God. Or Ewan coming out. Ewan coming out and seeing the 501st Legion there. And I said, Five oh first, say hello to you and they're like, Rah! And Ewan was like, Oh my God, you know, it's just it's very difficult to explain this stuff to people. So I I think back to just kind of give you guys a little bit of this note. How do I tell that kid at 7 or 8 years old who came to the United States? You can watch this. One day, that TK421, my 501st Legion ID is TK42128. Oh wow. Oh, 28 wow. being my birthday in November. I said I'm TK42128 and now I'm in Star Wars. I have my own protocol, you know, initiate protocol 23 or execute order 66. It's, just, it's so humbling. I can't even begin to tell you guys it's humbling as all hell. And, you know, you walk amongst people and you realize, man, I, you know, how lucky am I to be able to do this? And I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to, um, I don't know how to thank the universe. So I just have to do my best to do for others, give it back to other people, whether it is through this, you know, uh moment with you guys or helping somebody build their armor or helping some kid in a cancer hospital or I, I don't, I, the, the, this is where you start losing words and, you know, tears right. start rolling right. down your eyes. I, I, I don't know what to say. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to give you guys that little piece of information. It's just no way to have unless, you know, you, you know what I've gone through and, you know, things like that. And,
1: and, and, and like, I said, like I said, I, kinda I kind of do, I, kinda do, um, I know it's hard for, for Derek and for Derek Ken, and Ken, um, because, of um, because of what they, do for, what they do for their jobs, but having been part, having of, the been part of the Halcyon opening team, opening team and being, and part, of being that, part of that, right. Um I mean, I—that's I mean, I, the, yeah, the closest I'm going to the I'm gonna get to the volume, right? Yeah, now, yeah. right now, yeah. And when and when I saw, I saw Isaacs Oscar Isaacs walk on to walk on the Halcyon, on the halcyon oh. and, he, and he he was mesmerized, was mesmerized by, by everything. Right. everything. Of course, right, he, was right. he was on sets because right. I, I was on sets and, and you guys want to surpass the surpass sets, sets. Because, yeah. because it's not just not just walls with walls with open, open, open. It's, it's the, ship. the ship. Right. So
2: the other thing that I will tell you that was really interesting, that's USC related. I, um. I had the privilege of giving uh, George Lucas's daughter riding lessons, oh, and this gosh. was before I was on Star Wars. Oh wow, wow! And I remember at one point we took some pictures. Cutest, cutest kids you've. This little girl is exceptionally darling, just sweet and whatever. And they said, "Hey, Addisha, let's take a picture for George." And I'm like, oh, Okay, that's Mr. Lucas. Whatever. You you can say George to me. I'm just so weird." But I remember taking a picture and I said, hey, guys, do this because Lucas went to USC. I went to USC and they say, hey, let's take a picture with, you know, a stormtrooper. And I said, say, fight on. So that was my own little thing back to George Lucas for both of us being a Trojan. And now I'm a stormtrooper in this world that he created. And by the way, also, it's very intimate to me because, you know, a lot of the mythology of um, Star Wars is dear to me. I'm a Zoroastrian Persian. And a lot of that is built off of. You know, my ancient religion, I'm not a religious person, but I know that culture. I know what that is to us, the good, the bad. I was raised with there's good and bad, and you choose which path to go on. This is all this stuff that everybody hears in Star Wars today is what we've been raised, uh, I've been raised with as a kid. You know, and so it was really, it was interesting to me because I'm like, wow, here's this man who, ironically— you know, with the Empire and the Rebels and all this other stuff, kept a chunk of my Zoroastrian heritage alive. Even if it's just for me, I know it, you know. I know what the Jedi is. I know, you know, what the Jedi are because the Zoroastrian priests were called Magi, you uh-huh. know, and, and all this stuff. So to, to me, to get on that set and to see this stuff, to, it ties so many different aspects of my life together, so many different aspects of my life. It's very difficult to sit down and have a... a, a a moment in a conversation with you guys, and try to express everything that goes through you. How do you explain the White Stormtrooper outfit, Jedi and Magi? Seeing you and McGregor, seeing Timura clone outfit that didn't exist. Holy crap, Darth Vader. Darth Vader takes his helmet off. I'm like, oh my God, it's my friend Tom that I worked with on Avatar. He just, there's so many things firing off at one point that if you ask me what your experience is on um, Star Wars, I'd say it's like watching a grand finale of a fireworks show at Disney behind the Millennium Falcon. Which one of those sparks do you like? It's just so difficult to, so many things pop off Uh, Anyways, I just kind of wanted to leave you guys with that little little thing that just kind of came to my mind as well. Uh, where can people, where find, can you people find you online? Um, so I have my website. It's just radpoor.com. It shows a little bit of like some of my work stuff on Instagram, uh, Adisher Radpour or Polo on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I don't like to play that whole, if you message me, I don't have time to answer you. I don't I don't believe in that I I believe that kind of got to be like Maximus walk amongst your troops walk amongst your friends walk amongst people that admire you walk walk amongst people that don't like you you know type of a thing so I'm pretty easy to find anybody you know uh looks up uh, you know uh, my Instagram or Facebook or website it comes up rather easy Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming
1: on and joining us this week. week. joining us for a podcast podcast day, Star Wars Wars podcast day. day.
2: You honor me very much. Thank you so much. Very humbling that you guys are even interested. Thank you. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Give the evacuation code signal.
1: All right, cut the
2: chatter. Jax, I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this r2 unit i've lost r2